When I first heard the explosions, I ran out of the house to get my dogs from their enclosures outside. People were panicking, abandoning their cars. I was so scared. Those are the words of a 25-year-old Ukrainian who had been speaking regularly to her mother. Her mother lives in Moscow. Even after sending her mother videos of her heavily bombarded hometown, Alexandra is unable to convince her mother that she is in danger. I didn't want to scare my parents, she continues, but I started telling them directly, civilians and children are dying. Even though they worry about me, they say it's an accident, that Russia would never kill civilians. The Russians say Ukrainians are killing their own people. It's very common for families to live on different sides of the Russian-Ukrainian border. But for some, like Oleksandra, their Russian relatives believe something very different on the other side of that line. The stories they are told are tightly controlled by the Russians. That's one way to say it. Another is to call them lies. Another Ukrainian says, my parents understand that if some military action is happening here, they say, it's because the Russians have come to liberate you. They won't ruin anything, don't worry, they won't touch you. They're only targeting military bases. R Russian television justifies their actions in Ukraine by blaming the Ukrainians, calling it a special operation for liberation. Any Russian outlet that dares to say the word war, invasion, or attack will be blocked for spreading deliberately false information about the Russian military. There are many similar stories. Another man, Michaelio, a well-known Kiev restaurateur, has a six-year-old daughter and a baby son. He was surprised to have not heard from his father, who works at a monastery in Russia. He called his father to tell him what was happening in the Ukraine. His father replied, that's not true. There's no war. In fact, his father said, my people are saving you from the Nazis. When he heard the lies his father was saying, he was devastated. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, he says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. In Genesis, it is the serpent who tells the first lie in all of Scripture in the Garden of Eden. 
after planting seeds of deception, the serpent says lies to Eve, oh, you will not die if you eat this. Lies divide and destroy. Lives, relationships, countries, humankind. Now, just let me say for a sec, neither in Genesis nor in Luke do I imagine or construct a literal personified demon-like creature. I view these scriptures as, as deeply theologically and, and powerful metaphors. I do believe in what Paul calls the powers and principalities of evil. I do believe that the world is famished right now. That's the word that Jordan read from Luke's gospel. We are hungry for the truth. We are tired of lies. And yet, it is so easy to become enslaved by the father of lies. When I contemplate in my own life the destruction that I've seen as a consequence of lies, addictions, how many people are enslaved by their pursuit of personal pleasures, how many are enslaved to hate, to holding on to their opinions. And they often talk as if, when they're honest, they feel as if they are in the grip of something beyond their control. And in part, they are. The devil, Satan, the enemy, as it is sometimes called, is relentless in using people to entice us and draw us into deceptions. Yes, there is a really strong force for evil, for death and destruction in this world, and we would have to be ostriches to be missing that right now. We are inundated with lies. You know, it was Hitler who once said, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. So much of the suffering that we have endured these last two years have been related to lies. Remember the early phase? Oh, there's no really, there's no pandemic. Pandemic. This is no worse than the flu. Remember those, those early conversations? The dictionary defines a lie as untruth, falsehood, white lie, perjury, fabrication, falsification, deception, betrayal, made-up story, half-truth, pretense, evasiveness, and concealment. A Scottish clergyman said, the devil's got two lies up his sleeve. One is when he moves in as the tempter, saying, oh, this is actually good. You'll like it. And then the next one is, after you've succumbed to the temptation, 
after you've tasted the fruit, the devil then lies and says, now you're hopeless. Now you're mine. That's what happens in the Garden of Eden. Now Adam and Eve will know shame and death. Truth is, we all lie. And truth is, we all believe lies, individually and collectively. And the truth is, that is not a small matter. The consequences are enormous. I would like to suggest that your presence here today is an act of defiance against lies. Evil said to Jesus, if you worship me, all will be yours. The Greek word for worship is proskunio. It means the custom of prostrating oneself, prostrating oneself to the ground. The Persians did it in the presence of their deified king or ruler. The Greeks did it to show reverence to. We are often tempted to believe that something is worthy of worship when it is not. Money, our ideas, a world leader, a political belief, a political party. A century ago, right now, there was a man named Vladimir in charge of Russia. Vladimir Lenin was his name. In the late 1980s, I had the opportunity to spend some time in what was then the Soviet Union. In Moscow, in Red Square, they required that all visitors view the body of Lenin, where since 1924, this was in the late 1980s, he had been sitting up inside a mausoleum of sorts where every single person who came had to stand in silence outside for what was about two and a half hours on that particular Sunday morning, as it were. And then when you walked in, you had to be silent, take off your shoes. You were on holy ground as you walked around Lenin's body. Now keep in mind, this was a country that had turned all of its churches into museums of atheism, and yet they required every visitor to worship Lenin. After the Soviet Union fell, it took a lot of money to keep Lenin's body preserved. And so some said, let's bury the guy. And others said, no, no, no. We took flowers to Lenin's body when mother died. We took flowers to Lenin to bless our wedding. Do you see what had happened? This atheist country worshipped a world leader who was dead. Today, Jesus is worshipped around the world, and I tell you, I almost swallowed my tongue Wednesday night when I was speaking at Ash Wednesday and realized that both Ukrainians 
and Russians were having ashes imposed on their foreheads last Wednesday. Wow. In our lectionary text, Jesus is described as filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so glad that Meredith emphasized that in her words today. That's where it starts. It starts at the Jordan, where Jesus is baptized, and his baptism was profoundly significant. It prepared him for the wilderness. And if we go on this, if we start saying, oh, but Jesus was God, let me remind you, Jesus was fully human. He was as tempted in that wilderness and as hungry as you or I would have been. He chose to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit that prepared him for his encounter with the father of lies. Now, was 40 days a literal period? Probably not. You really can't live 40 days without anything to eat. But remember, the number 40 is often used metaphorically in the Bible in an imprecise manner. But the point is that Jesus had a really long time in the wilderness. May that give hope to some of you who are feeling like you are in the wilderness this morning. He fasted a long time. He was famished. My, my eyes latched onto that word. I, 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 I feel famished. I can't tell you how often I wake up in the morning and the first word I try for wordle is tired because that is what I feel. But we are only truly famished when we lose hope. Adam and Eve failed. The fully human Jesus did not fail, and that Christ is our hope. There is a strong voice for lies in this world. But there is a stronger voice for truth. We come to these pews and worship to affirm that reality, that the voice of truth is stronger than the voice of lies. Christ confronted temptation and triumphed where Adam and Eve had failed. Think about this. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve three times. Satan tempts Jesus three times. The parallels are obvious, but the important thing is do not miss the difference. Adam and Eve face temptation in a garden with food, luscious food, all around them. Christ faced temptation in a wilderness where there was nothing for him to eat. The Spirit led Christ to confront the devil. Christ drew Satan out into the open. And it was Christ who initiated the confrontation about lies. But the story ends a little uncomfortably for me. It is not tidy. 
It simply says, Satan retreated until an opportune time. The BBC report that I referenced at the beginning of the sermon today tells several stories of families divided in Russia and the Ukraine, one of which ends with these questions. Will I ever see my parents again? I still love them deeply, but something inside me has broken, and I don't think it can ever be fixed. May churches in the United States be speaking out to empower the Ukrainians with the hope of our shared faith. May these stories not be ours in a few years. Was January 6th, 2021 legitimate political discourse or a violent insurrection? Do not think that the truth does not matter and that the church must stand for truth. Look at Ukraine. They have been attacked by the Russians, not liberated. The vaccines have saved millions of lives. We are not implanted with the DNA of Bill Gates. We need to tell this story about a Jesus who walked right up to the father of lies and told the truth with the help of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.